Hello and welcome to episode two of the Blow on the Cartridge podcast, uh, the place for old games and the older people that play them. Um, I am your host this week. Uh, my name is John and I am joined by my good friends, Sean. Good afternoon. And the troll that is Alex. Uh, I resent that, that. I am not a troll. I am just an informed consumer. Mm-hmm. So the the first episode we ever did, we uh, we covered Final Fantasy VII, uh, a very popular game, a very well known game, and we decided to follow that up with a very unknown game, one we had never, uh, myself and Sean had never come across before, but uh, a certain Alex had done. If you would like to take a moment to introduce what today's game is, I would love to. Thank you, John. Most people familiar gaming would probably point to Resident Evil as one of the progenitors of the survival horror genre. What many people may not know is that Resident Evil began life as a remake of a little-known 1989 Nintendo RPG known as Sweet Home. Sweet Home is actually a licensed property based on a movie of the same name. The movie is free on YouTube, by the way, at the time of this podcast for anyone who'd like to watch it. The game follows the movie fairly closely and actually had involvement from the movie's director in the game's creation. The game's plot is that a small documentary crew gets trapped in a large collapsing mansion and must navigate their way out. As they make their way through, they are confronted by monsters, ghosts, and collapsing floors. Each character has a unique item that must be used to navigate through certain obstacles. The documentary crews comprise of five characters, but all five cannot travel together at once. You'll be navigating between party between two parties for most of the game. Permadeath is part of the game, so any party members that are lost are gone for good. Finally, this game is rife with gruesome imagery. If one of your characters dies, it shows you brutally how they died, and at several moments of the game, the player is treated disturbing imagery unlike anything else out at the time. All right, so before we get into the uh, what we think are the best parts of the, uh, the game, uh, I think we should take a quick break and listen to some great music. So as background, uh, as as John said, neither of us had ever heard of this game before. Um, and Alex mentioned that this game has a lot of gruesome imagery. Apparently, it was never released in the States. So we're all playing a translated version of the game that came out in the year 2000. And um, let me go ahead and just start by saying three things. Number one, it's a very good game. Number two, I did not enjoy playing it at all. <laughs> And number three, I actually think this is the perfect game for this podcast. Um, you know, when we first started talking about putting this podcast together, we said that we wanted to talk about games that are really good but are flawed. And Final Fantasy VII is a really, really good game, but I wouldn't call it a flawed game. There are things you can nitpick, right? We talked about those, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's, great. it's a great game. Sweet Home is not, in my opinion, a great game to play. But it's a really important game, and there's just there, there's a lot to talk about about how great this game is. But I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I do think that there's just a lot to talk about. So things that are good, um, you know, the obvious. This is clearly a game that's ahead of its time. Um, you mentioned this is the progenitor to Resident Evil. There's so much about this game that you see in Resident Evil: uh, the puzzles, the atmosphere. They have quick time events, which I never would have thought I'd see a quick time event. In NES game, but there it was. Um, and just this, it's this slow descent into madness. Um, you know, the game starts out pretty okay, you know, haunted mansion, but it gets to some pretty crazy stuff as the game goes along. And honestly, really does, yeah. apart from the graphics, because it is Nintendo graphics, you can't get past that. It feels like a game from, I'd say, like the Super Nintendo. It, it's really impressive. It's every bit as good as some of the best atmospheric games of that generation. And I think part of that is the story. You know, I'll go ahead and say I didn't grow up with a Nintendo. um, So I didn't play a lot of NES games growing up. I've really kind of played the hits, right? The the games that everybody knows you're supposed to play. Mario and Zelda. 
Yeah, Metroid, all those kinds of games, even Final Fantasy, of course. Um, I would say that Sweet Home has a better story than any of those. And I think its presentation of the story is better than any of those. Um, it's just, it's, it's really, really good. It's again, it's, it's the kind of story you didn't really see until the super Nintendo and Sega Genesis or mega drive era. It does a really effective use of disembodied text boxes, which I feel like disembodied text boxes were a thing on the NES, but they're usually you kind of look at it and you're like, where the hell did this come from? But it works in sweet home because it's a haunted house. And so when a disembodied text box just pops up out of nowhere, it makes you feel something, which I don't think an NES game normally does. And there's a moment, a little bit of dread, a little bit of dread. There is, yeah. Halfway through the game, I, f- I feel like the um, is it Simon's Quest does some of that. It does. It does. Yeah. Sorry, didn't no, okay. But that- Simon's Quest, an NES game. Yeah, Castlevania Two, Simon's Quest. That's what he's yeah. referring to. Ah, yes. Now there's a game we could talk about because that's a game <laughs> that does a lot of things well and a lot of things very badly. Yes. It um, does. <laughs> and this game is probably very similar to that, um, but it's kind of in the opposite direction because Simon's Quest is, I think, loved for its gameplay and not for the story, whereas this is the other way. We'll talk about the gameplay in a minute. It's got some things to work on. But I was going to say there's a moment about halfway through the game, and you know we're, we're going to try to stay mostly spoiler-free, though I think in general our assumption here is that if you uh, want to play it, then we hope that this gives you an opportunity to, to think of why you might. Um, but anyway, that incinerator scene, I, I watched that with, <laughs> with my wife, who wasn't playing it with me, and it's 15 seconds long, but got a reaction out of both of us. Yeah. That's, that's impressive for an NES I mean, game. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why we never saw it or we never heard of it before then, because obviously, you know, it is, there is a certain tone to it, let's say, and it's um, jaw opening, and that isn't what Nintendo of America was known for taking on never so, would have happened in the 80s not no. in a million years never so would have happened that's why i never got here so please carry on show yeah well i see so the the other piece of it with the story is is the puzzle design uh we talk about it being present evil prototype this is a game where you're trapped in a mansion trying to find your way out and it's almost like a point and click adventure game but it does a really good job of giving appropriate hints. I think, you know, uh, adventure game logic, I always think of um, zero punctuation and the way that Yahtzee talks about adventure game logic, which is that the designers of those games have to be insane because otherwise, how in the world do you come up with the solutions for some of the puzzles? Sweet Home doesn't do that. Um, Some of the solutions are a little bit weird, but it also gives you lots of clues. Um, you know, the, I, the I, if I could just interject just for a moment, I wonder how mm-hmm. much of that's down to the fan translation. Because obviously, if you're doing a fan translation, you'll have played this game before, and any problems that you might have seen or come across yourselves, you can change in a fan translation. So, I'm wondering if some of that might be down to that. I kind of love the idea that the fans looked at the script and said, This is too confusing, we need to unconfuse it, as opposed to the game designers themselves getting it right the first time. But you made hey, right. that happens more often than you might think. <laughs> we can establish the version we played gave you clues for the puzzles. It definitely did. Yeah, yeah. it yes. does a very good job of a job of it. Apart from the the main section I had an issue with was finding out what to do with the flashlight, uh, which inexplicably asked you to take care of some purple lightning that was on the floor and stopping your progress. It does. Now, if you, and can, if you can explain to me how that works. I will immediately take back my point. Well, no, what's funny about that is, you know, Alex mentioned this is based on a film, and I watched the film before coming on the pod today, and in the film, they shine a flashlight on the black lightning, and the black lightning blows up the flashlight. So not only does it not make sense, but it's not even consistent with the film. In the movie, it's the opposite. So I, I, I got no answers for you on that one. Okay. Um, and I will say, like, this is a game where you definitely need a, a guide or an FAQ to look at just a little bit. Because there are a lot of like basic gameplay things that the game doesn't explain. Like it tells you where to go puzzle to puzzle. I don't know about the two of you. I played for probably about 30 minutes and then I reset the game because I realized I had just fundamentally misunderstood how to play and I had totally yep. screwed up my playthrough. There's a lot of, again, it's like an adventure game. It's a lot of verbs, a lot of actions, and the game doesn't tell you that they're there. It doesn't tell you how they work. Um, and so the best example of this is you're supposed to group up your five characters into parties of two and three mm-hmm. did not understand that and wondered why my individual character was getting, um, demolished by all Watered. of the different, right. And <laughs> yeah, I, 
I did the same thing. There was a, an early mechanic where you put down wooden boards to uh, get across chasms. And I had the issue where I would group up all of my characters and then forget to ungroup them so that they would all walk over the wooden plank or break it, and then I was trapped. Um, that could be down to my stupidity. Maybe. Very uh, but, uh, <laughs> but that wasn't laid out to me. I didn't know that it was going to break. And then I, then I was screwed. So, yeah. Hmm. Thankfully, the, the, you get the rope pretty early on, but we'll get to that point later. But we, we will. It, it does give you solutions to these problems. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I would say the point-click adventure game that it reminds me of the most is Maniac Mansion because of the fact that you have these five party members. I loved that each of them gets a unique tool. They're varying in their levels of usefulness, right? Um, one of them, one character has the first aid kit, so you can't lose them. Another one has a lighter that is used to burn... Like what, ropes, six six obstacles throughout the course of the game. Yeah, um, and then there's the camera guy who you can totally skip. The camera guy lets you read the clues. So if you don't have a camera, you can't read your clues. But if you don't need the clues, then he's totally optional. But I it just it's it's clever. It's really clever to give you a reason to want to keep your characters together. It makes you have to think about which characters do you send together on certain tasks because you might need one of their tools. Um, there's also a thing and, that happens in the beginning of the game as well, because each of the characters are named. I'm assuming they're named after their movie counterparts. They are, you yes. Can, and at yeah. the beginning of the game, you can change those names. Now, I the first time I played it, I didn't do this. But the second time after I reset, after like 10, 15 minutes after I screwed myself, I immediately changed all their names to the items that they were carrying. Because before, their names are like Yuzuo, Kazuki, and, and Japanese names, which... As a dirty, filthy Westerner such as myself, I forget who's who. But if I name my characters Key or Camera, then immediately, yeah, it's much easier for me to remember who they are. So I I assume that you two also did this. The first, the very first time I played, like ten years ago, I named it like like regular English names that I would know and recognize better. Um, and then on every subsequent playthrough, it's been like lighter camera, that sort of thing. Excellent. Right. I, I did the <laughs> I same. That's a I, feature, I, by the way, that, that, that's a cool feature to have in a game with party members. It is a Very one, sure. it is one case where watching the film is helpful because after you watch it, uh, there's something about movies that you just, you sort of connect with characters names. Maybe it's because people are saying it over and over again, but you're yeah. saying them too, like real people, right. not the little eight bit sprite they have. Right. We know that Asuka is the one with the vacuum because in the movie, that's what she's doing. She's an art restorer and she's got to use a vacuum to clean off. Special vacuum. Yeah, that's right. And I got to say, it's really cool in the movie. I've never seen a dirty fresco before, but we're talking like an inch thick of dust. I, I can't wow. even imagine like how dust accumulates on a wall like that. I'm looking at my wall and thinking how long I'd have to go between dusting it to see it look like that. Mm. But um, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, what else? The, uh, the last thing that I will say is that, uh, it takes place in a mansion that is really, really well laid out because, uh, you think about a puzzle game, let's use Metroidvania as an example, actually, cause this is a really great hmm. comparison point. A Metroidvania game by its design kind of wants you to get lost. It kind of wants you to not know where you're supposed to go next because it wants you to explore. And I loved the fact that Sweet Home doesn't do that. Like, with very few exceptions, the game kind of compartmentalizes itself. And there's chapters. I don't know if you noticed this, but the frescoes are numbered. They say it's by date, but really it's by chapter. There's, there's January, which is chapter one. There's February, which is chapter two. And they actually, every time you get to a new section of the house, the number increments up a month. So January through August, because it's an eight-chapter game. I didn't notice chapters, that. Each chapter is pretty well self-contained. It's actually really great because... Yeah, okay, you have to figure out the basement, but the basement's maybe 10 rooms. And so every time you get to a new area, you've got to orient yourself on those rooms. But after 15, 20 minutes, you get the lay of the land, and then you just have to solve the puzzles in those rooms, and then you get to the next area and kind of do it all over again until the very last one. The very last section opens up the entire mansion, and you have to find stuff over here, stuff over there, and you have to remember everything that you've learned from the earlier parts of the mansion to bring it all together. And it's just... It's really, really well designed. I can't say enough good things about it's a great puzzle map that is challenging without ever feeling confusing. 
I'd like to jump on what Sean has been saying about items because I feel like the 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 way the way that the items work in this game at, at first I thought was amazing for an NES game from 1989. There is item permanence all over the mansion. So if you think about how the point and click adventure games work, they can sometimes have you come out of a, a room and then come back in and then everything's reset mysteriously. The fairies have been in and reset all the items to where they're supposed to be. That doesn't happen in Sweet Home. You pick up, uh, let's say, a mallet, for example, um, and you put it down uh, to swap it for some piece of wood, and it stays there for the rest of the game until you pick it up again. And I thought that was, a, that was amazing for, for an NES game. However, th- there's kind of a trick that the game does play on you, because um, the number of uh, places where you can put things is a set place. And obviously the, the number of uh, items that each character can carry is, I think, a weapon and two other items, as well as their key item that they yeah. always have. Um, and if you, if you count up the, the number of places, it's probably not that many. But it, it still feels amazing to me that uh, such, such a thing happens in, in such an old game. Because I, I can't remember another another type of game where that, that happens, where you can interact with each of these items and swap them around, and they stay put. To, to me, I, I can, can you guys think of another game where that happens? Like, I can. Um, not in the NES, though. Uh, no? I can think of lots of games. Like, Resident Evil Zero has a very similar mechanic, mm. where you're dropping items and picking them up, but that's also, like, three generations later, so... Yeah. I mean, and the characters do the same thing. If you just leave them over here somewhere and then just change your your party over... I mean, it seems weird to say, but the game plays a little bit like GTA V does in that you've got five protagonists and you swap between them uh, at will. And the game, like, allows you to do that, which I was astounded by at the time. Like, um, because normally when you play one of these games, you think of a game like, let's say, Breath of Fire, which is an RPG from from that era. When you walk around with your characters, they follow either behind you or they disappear inexplicably. And in this game, like, they just stay put. There's a party system going on because I don't think we've really mentioned the combat because it's not our favorite part of the game at all. But like you can have these these five party members. Obviously, you can only go between two and uh, two teams of two and three. But you can call out. You can ask for help from your other team if if they're nearby. So your party of two is moving around. They get attacked. They can call for aid, and then you switch over to the other three, and they come and help you. I thought mm-hmm. that that's a great mechanic. Um, and you have 30 seconds to get your party from where the, your one party to your next party. And if you don't yeah. get there in time, it goes back to the battle and you have to call for them again. Just yeah, wanted I mean, to elaborate on that. But yeah, yeah, cheers, because it does need elaborating. Um, you also you share experience because there's a leveling up system that's in this game, uh, much like any other RPG that's a dungeon crawler, because that's essentially what the combat is from this. And. You need you need to make sure that all your characters are like leveling up correctly. I mean, the system where you call for aid really does help out because if you've underleveled, like let's say you've played with your team of three for the past ten fifteen minutes, you get a couple of levels, and all of a sudden your team of two is actually kind of weak. Well, you need to keep everybody together so that you can um, so you can all level correctly because otherwise you, you will get later on in the game where like people are just you will need all five people and you're not going to be able to do anything because two of your members are super duper weak. The game encourages you to stick together and it does a great job of doing that. Um, oh yeah, the door opening sequences. The door opening sequences. I, I never... So when I first saw Resident Evil, one of the, the, the best things of it was the tension that opening a door gave you. I, I realized later on that it's basically a way for, for loading sequences to happen in the background. But obviously, in in the NES days, you didn't really need that because it was all stored on RAM and it, nothing needed to be loaded off a disc. But the door open, opening sequences—they're literally there for tension and nothing else. Mm-hmm. They, they they work exactly the same way. You you take your key member, who's called Key, weird, uh, over <laughs> to the door, and they open the door, and you see a cutscene 
of the, nothing ever happens in them, by the way. I that but you're waiting for something to jump out. You're waiting, you're waiting. for something to jump out. You're waiting for something happens. to jump out at you. But it, every time I was just like, it's gonna happen this time. It's gonna be this time. It's gonna be this time. And nothing happens, but the tension is real and it's there every time. It, it's it's a great feeling. The the tone of the game is for that era, I mean I haven't I wasn't an NES kid just like Sean. I am and I, I, I don't play many scary games. I get too involved in, in the video game-ness of it. I've tried to play Dead Space like five times, and I quit every time because I'm not made the, the correct way or something. I get too invested. And I get scared. Um, maybe I can go back to it now. The, the tone of, the, of Sweet Home is great, and I can imagine myself at like age 10 or something playing this game and being absolutely scared out of my pants. But now that I'm a bit older and things are a little bit more realistic in the gaming world, it's kind of it's kind of quaint. I think is a, is a is a fair way to not put as it. Not scary because you're an adult now. Yeah, it's not as scary. And it's I, I the eight bit graphics. Yeah, yeah. I, get I mean, there there could be other horror games that are on the NES. I please, if anyone knows of any that we should check out, please let us know. But um, I I I think if I was playing it for the age of the the what they were aiming for i would have found it scary but now it's not but it was still very enjoyable and i definitely think they hit the the tone they were going for too i think if we were to say that this is one of the first survival horror games that'd be accurate and i think we said this is probably one of the if we said this is the best survival horror game of the 80s, I think that'd be an accurate statement. I don't think many people would really argue with us on that one. I can't imagine there's a whole lot of competition there. Hey, if, if anyone has any information about that sort of thing, please let us know on our new email address, the uh, email account that I set up for this. Um, it is blow.cart.pod at outlook.com. Uh, so please send your messages there for our perusal, and uh, maybe we'll get back to you. Uh, we'll look forward to it. We'll get on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll jump in. Uh, I'm not going to go over a lot of what you said. You two being new to the game, you really laid out a good foundation for all the positive things this game brings. I'm just going to try and touch on some things that I saw as positive on a second pl- or on a third playthrough when I'm looking at it a lot more analytically and some things I noticed with what y'all are saying. So first off, I want to say the atmosphere of the game is on point in that you really, even like I was teasing John about being an adult, not being scared by the 8-bit graphics now, but even as an adult, like you're waiting for something to jump at you. Like you're always, there's always a bit of tension throughout the game because I mean, Sean, you were saying you're watching with your wife who wasn't even playing and she got, you know, startled or jumped at one of the scenes. And that's what you really feel throughout the game. There's always a bit of tension. There's always, you know, you never quite know what's going on. And I think we all, you know, you consulted a guide here and there. Like, I know I did even on going did back. Too. Yeah, it, you kind of have to. For this era of gaming, I think that was very common, especially if you go back to it now. But without a guide, if I, if I, if I had rented this in the early 90s, uh, I would have felt that tension 10 times more. Without a guide or anything quick I could Google to bring up, like if I was just trying to play it like a Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. The it, game definitely ramps up towards the end as well. Yeah, but yeah, it really does. At it the beginning, it, it it really ramps up really well too. At, towards the end, like the, there's definitely some scenes that deserve mention, but yeah, I, I think it'd be doing a disservice to people that haven't played it because there probably will be a few that haven't. If you Keep really, going, if, if, if you really don't want to, if you really don't want to play it, there are plenty of playthroughs on YouTube. Yeah. Just content warning: there is some graphic imagery, and I'm not joking around. I'm not saying that lightly, even for an eight bit game it might creep you out a little bit looking at some of it. Um, I wanted to say, give this game some credit too for originality, because I will safely say I am pretty sure this game is one of the very first of its kind. Uh, I cannot really see, I can't think of a game from that era that necessarily compares, because sure, it's an RPG. It also has real, like, puzzle tension uh, qualities to it, like, it almost kind of almost like the original Resident Evil one, which is to be expected and that combat isn't really the priority of the game. The priority of the game is item management, solving puzzles and having a Metroidvania feel of exploring your way around through this very large mansion where 
you can go to a lot of different places and trying to figure out which way is the best way to go and which direction do I need to go in and following these hints and clues. I also want to comment on having a story that isn't directly told to you. It's told to you through frescoes and journal entries and through little messages here and there. And you kind of have blood to build on the wall. <laughs> or, or blood on the wall or yeah. like a, you know, a half alive zombie that whispers about some warning about something that killed him. I also think this is probably one of the first games that had multiple endings. There are five different endings this game. I feel like one of the, the Metroidvania games had multiple endings too. But I was going to ask, so Metroid does have different endings. Samus looks different. That's really it. How different, I've not seen all the endings, Alex. How different are the five endings? Like, what is, what is different between them? So the five different endings depend on how many characters are alive at the end. So if you have five, it's super happy ending. And then it gets a little sadder with each one you lose. You have to have spo- slight spoilers. You have to have two characters going into the final battle. You have to have at least two alive to to complete the game at all. Because you have to have four items for the final battle. One of them can die if they use all their items. And so if you have one left, then it's a very dark, sad, dreary ending because you didn't have all your guys, you didn't have hardly any guys survive. I also wanted to, before we uh, dogpile and everything wrong with the game, I wanted to I'm comment. I'm my hands together for that. <laughs> I wanted to say that I, I liked that each character had a key item, and I liked also that the use wasn't always super duper obvious. For instance, the lighter, which may only be used to burn ropes outside of combat, in combat, if you use it on bats, it'll scare them away. Yeah, but like how, many, little... how, many, how many bats are there in the game? Yeah, uh, they respawn in that in the um, in one fireplace room. room. The fireplace in one room. room. <laughs> hey, it's annoying though, and it scares them away. Keeps them away from you. Okay, all right, all right. It's uh, so, all right. So we'll take a quick break, and we will come back to what we uh, found frustrating with Sweet Home. Catch you in a minute. Welcome back. Uh, here we are back with the blow on the uh, cartridge podcast where we're going to take a look at all the frustrating and bad things that we found about the game Sweet Home. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with NES games, like I said before, uh, but one of the things that I have had good experiences with uh, in the games that I have played is the music. Now, the, the sound chip on the NES is a classic for most people. Everybody knows the Mario Brothers theme and uh, some of the other classics like like Ca- uh, Castlevania and uh, Metroid. Um, this game falls short. <laughs> uh, we actually, we actually uh, have done something a little bit different this week. We've, we've actually got a little window open here so we can have a quick listen and put our thoughts onto what we think of the, the music because there's, there's one uh, particular sequence in the game towards the like three-hour mark I found the around about the, the not quite in the middle of the game where this particular uh, section of the of the uh, the game has you go through this floor which has this particular music to it. Let's let's take a, a quick listen here. Your ears are not deceiving you. That is the same five notes over and over again. And when you are stuck in this section, not sure what to do, there is nothing more frustrating than leaving an area that doesn't have this and then coming back and going, oh my god, not this music again. I, I'm going to stop it there because I can't take any more. It just gives me rocking out. Yeah, yes, I, I, I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, as I said, he is the troll of this podcast. Um, no, that, uh, that section for me drove me to, to nearly quit a number of times just coming from 
an area where like there was there was new I was very happy to get new music, but every time I had to go back there, it's just like, oh my god, it's like it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's awful. Um that I and there were unfortunately there were a few tracks that have the same issue. Um I actually I actually went on looked who the uh the composer was uh composer for, for this particular track and they've worked on some other Capcom games, uh like yeah, nineteen forty two and uh what was uh is it Shinobi? I, I feel like no that's not that's not a Capcom game. Um They've made some some other games too. It wasn't like a one and done thing, but for me, if you were to do this today, like it would be. Um, let, let's take a quick look at uh, a quick listen, I should say, to some of the other ones. They're not all terrible. There's some good ones on here. It's just that that one is easily the worst. Uh, let's take a quick listen to the East Garden. I, I feel like this one wasn't bad. You mentioned Castlevania. I get very strong shades of Castlevania in this track. Definitely, yeah. I think this is also the title music, actually. It might well be. It does have the, the sound of a title music. Uh, let's see, what else have we got here? Oh, it changes. Yeah, it does. There's so much repetition in a, in a game where like you're going backwards and forwards. You need music tracks to to not be repetitive, and unfortunately, the game does have that. I mean, the, the, there's one I definitely wanted to listen to, which is basically just a rip off of the Jaws theme. Um, which is what you get when you encounter an enemy. But to me, to to its credit, I will say that that does add to the tension of. When I mean anyone who's watched Jaws will know that the tension that that particular music gives you, and the sense of dread. So I, I get why they would do that. But some some of the the tracks on here are just like that uh, top floor music that just it frankly did my head in. I, I I after listening to it for about an hour in that section, I would I had to stop. And in a game where like you're you're trying to play as entertainment. No aspect of it should be. It really shouldn't be trying to stop you from playing. <laughs> really, um, at the request of Alex, though, I will play one last one. Uh, was it the West Island? West Island, which we actually think might be the best one. Weirdly enough, this this reminds me of like uh, an Alex Kid track from from playing Alex Kid on the Master System. But yeah, yeah. I think one of the problems one of the problems that the music has is that this is a great track, and it's used in a portion of the game that's completed in roughly fifteen to twenty minutes. Yeah, and with area. with only a couple of exceptions, you don't have to go back there. You do go back a couple of times to pick up some items, but. It's it's a very very short section of the game. Meanwhile, that first track, that repetitive earworm of a track that will oh, now yeah. be in my head for the next several days, it's hours, hours of gameplay. And so I I don't know who it was that decided to put the most frustrating tracks into the largest sections of gameplay. But even if they just swapped it, right? Let's just spend more time with the nice music and let's make the bad music the really short sections. Would have gone a long way to uh, I think to everybody's frustrations. Yes, definitely. Um, the other main thing that we wanted to to talk about, which unfortunately fell short to everybody, was the random battle. Uh, I, I know Sean, you wanted to, to have a quick word on this. A quick word. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll keep it quick. <laughs> uh, I will say, yeah, the, the Jaws music did fill me with dread because it meant that another random battle was happening, and yep. just the dread of oh god, I have to do this again. I have a real problem with random battles in this game, and it's just shouldn't be here. You know, the basically, I think it just comes down to the fact that the game, the battle mechanics in this game are kind of of their time. And yeah. where, where there is all of this innovation and all of this creativity in the rest of the game, there is zero innovation and creativity in the battle. It is the epitome of 
mash the A button until the battle is over. Just like you just you hit the attack button over and over and over again. You can use an ability called Prey, but even then it's 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 a magic spell where you have MP, but like look at Final Fantasy. The black mage in Final Fantasy, they've got fire, they've got ice, they've got imagine a black mage who just has a black mage button and he fires black magic. That's essentially what happens here at Sweet Home. It's just it's it's so simplistic that it's mindless and I, I think you're doing it a slight disservice. That there is actually a timing aspect to using it. So the the power of the the prey is powers set, up uh, when you hit the right hit it at the right time. If you, if you think that. of like a, a golf game where you're trying to do like a power bar, it works in exactly the same way. Uh, so if you if you tap at the the right hand side, you use lots of MP. If you tap at the left hand side, you use less MP, and that dictates how much damage you do. It is you very got- simplistic, and it wears out its welcome very quickly. You can also use the items. The camera, for instance, will stun some enemies if you flash it at them. Um, so there, are, there is a one more aspect. I'm trying to one flush more. it out. Yes, there you're are, absolutely there are three right. Three aspects to combat. Congratulations, game. The, the the items are the best part. I, I will agree. That. And and uh, I'll get back to kind of how how I could see this working better. I think the items are about the only redeeming quality of the combat. And if you were to take everything else out and just leave the items. There's a gem of or a germ of a really good idea in there. But the other problem is it's built around an RPG formula, which means that A, you're getting experience points. And B, this means you have to fight. Like, you know, you could run away from every single battle. Uh, it's really hard because every member of the battle has to run away individually. And so yeah. if you have three party members and two of them run away and one fails to escape, now that particular party member is one on one with the monster and is probably going to die very quickly. Because as yeah, we've discussed before, the, the balance is not there for one character against this. These no, it's really not, because some of the enemies have like stun attacks. And if they're stunned, they don't or recover. Curse or something else. Where you yeah, have to use they the don't recover in battle. Them. And they just get pounded on. You have to them. use a med kit on them, otherwise they're done. Yeah. Right. And so you have to do all of these fights. You know, you mentioned before, Al, or John, what happens if these people fall behind in experience? You have to have the experience. You've got to level up. So you've got to do these battles. And it ends up being... I feel like 30 to 40% of the game is spent in these random battles. Um, and then what they are, Sean. they're just slap fights. Really? They are, they are slap fights. And because it's a survival horror game, it's just, it's the wrong genre for it. You know, this is a game where you can't heal your party members with, with magic and where healing resources are limited. Now to the game's credit, there are lots and lots of healing resources. Like this is not a game where resource management is really um, a challenge, but that almost makes it worse. It's like, okay, we're going to go through the trouble of making resources limited so that you see, feel the sense of scarcity and you're, you're worried, but we're going to give you so many healing items that you're never going to have an issue with it. Like you're almost never going to run out of your ability to heal yourself. And so it's just, it's just poorly thought out. I mean, there's no bites to any of these battles, you know, what you want is a random battle that makes you afraid. Oh crap! This is this is gonna be bad, but it's not. Um, you know, once or twice you fight a new enemy, you're like, okay, what's the gimmick? You figure it out, and then it just becomes mindless. And yeah, it it, it takes away from the game for me because I loved every minute when I wasn't in a random battle. But if thirty to forty percent of the game is spent in the random battles, that's thirty to forty percent of the game where I was not having a good time. I would I would quickly like to say though that in Resident Evil they definitely changed that up. In ter- so the, the the healing item that you get in Sweet Home is called a tonic, which just looks like moonshine. To be honest, it just looks like a, a bottle of triple X moonshine. That, Random potion that you yeah that you take and yeah. you've got no idea what the side effects are going to be. But in in Resident Evil there are there are a lot Arms. less healing items. Yeah, they, and they are very scarce. So I'd like to think that they learned the lesson on that one. They did, and, and that's exactly what I would say. I think Resident Evil is, is a blueprint for how to do it right. Yep. But let's imagine doing it on the NES, and this is kind of what I wanted to, to, to think through because you can't really do Resident Evil exactly as it is on the NES. But I think you're right. What if the, ran- what if the battles weren't random? What if every single battle was um, predetermined? Because that's the other thing. When you have random battles, it means there's infinite battles, and that's just it becomes a drain. But the game almost does it right. You had mentioned, Alex, the bats, and there's some suits of armor, and there's some yep. other... They show up on the map, and you yep. can avoid them. Maybe you can't, but you can, you can at least try to avoid them. Uh, I see a game where if all of the enemies were on the map and all of them could be avoided, then that fixes everything. Because first of all, they're not random. You know they're coming. 
Second of all, there's a ton of dread because, you know, they're chasing after you. And third, if you're if you're trying to avoid them, then um, you can you can pull back on the resources like they did in Resident Evil. Give us fewer tonics because, you know, well, they can at least they can run away. Um, I'm and the other thing, did, I'm wondering if they did try that. Sorry, Sean. The, I, no, it's, it's whenever whenever the enemies do show up in the, the suits of armor section in particular, the game actually slows down a little bit. I don't know if you guys ha- had that or noticed it. And there's lots of points where the uh, it's it's a common thing on the NES where characters would go slightly see through or parts of the uh, sprite would disappear. And there's one room in particular, the the sticky room, I think it's called, where there are like three suits of armor all moving at the same time on the same map. And it's quite a large map as well. The game starts to stutter a little bit. And I wonder if they did try to do that and just they couldn't do it because the the game, the hardware was holding them back on that aspect. I don't know. What do you think? I, no, I, would theor- point. I, I would theorize that, yeah, it was probably hard for them to get that many sprites on screen at the same time. And I I can say this as someone who's worked on retro game like modification, that it can be a nightmare trying to fit a certain amount of sprites on one screen or at the same time because games really don't like it. And it mm. can be really confusing. By the way, Sean, I just want to point out there are 21 tonics in the game. Because you're talking yeah. about tonics being limited. 21 doesn't sound like a lot, but this game isn't super long anyway. So, And they, right. they can be used on the entire party at the same time. You can't just the, use, you can you, use... So you can only use them on a maximum of three characters at once, though. Unless no, you use it in battle. Unless you use and it in you battle. use it in battle, it's only for that one character. No, it's for all of them. Party. If you call for aid, if you call for aid, and you have all it. of them at the same time, and you mm-hmm. use the tonic, it affects everybody. Gotcha. So the, yeah, there's a lot of healing items, and if you use them smartly, then you shouldn't have a problem with that. But nice. I mean, that that's it, it kind of becomes like a balancing issue. I I actually have a, a a different idea that would be slightly more complicated on the design front, but could be more interesting for the player. Is that um, the game obviously wants some sort of form of the occult to be going on because it gives you like the ability to use prey. Well, what if you had like some form of you fight let, let's say the the evil doll the evil doll is the first enemy that you encounter in the game very easy to defeat it's just a little doll what if if you fought the enemy a few times and you found a clue for an incantation and then instead of using prey you could use an incantation to instantly defeat the the enemy and every time you did that the game would give you a, like a quick time event where you had like four options for parts of the incantation, let's say uh, Fusro Da. But let's say let's say mm-hmm. that that is the incantation for defeating the evil doll. If on the first uh, thing you you get Fus R E T, and you have to select in quick succession the correct options, that could I- make everything a lot adds more interesting. Tension. Yeah, it adds some tension. It's a timed event, but if you do it correctly, you instantly defeat the enemy. How do, how do you feel about something like that? I, th- I think that would work. I think that would definitely add some tension. I think, uh, to give my own thoughts, uh, I'm not, again, I'm not going to add too much because you all covered it. I, I, I agree that some of the music is grating. I also think some of it's really good, though. I would go to bat for some of it. Um, I think the battle system is of its time, and I'm not saying that there aren't other RPGs on the NES that do it better. I would argue that the battle, that the combat is still better than a lot of NES games and still a lot more engaging. And I think there is some, that it does add some tension. And that's really all I guess I'd say. The gameplay has not aged fantastically. No. No, That said... Looking at it from the lens of when it was released, it was still mind-blowing for the time. I disagree. So uh, I grew up with an Amiga, uh, and after that a PC, where like the CRPGs, the dungeon-crawling RPGs, were rife, and they were excellent for the time, and certainly a lot better than, than anything that was on the NES in terms of that type of mechanic and the type of mechanic that Sweet Home was going for. Okay, let, let me let me specify. I'm talking about on the NES and the ne- in terms of the NES library. I know, I know, but th- it was still of that time and of that. Fair era. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
So I do yeah. want to add, uh, John, I think your incantation is, is, it's a brilliant idea. Wouldn't have thought of that. That, that solves, if you're going to have to keep random battles, how do you make them kind of less? Sweep. Cause the idea that I had had was, you know, one of the other things we didn't really talk about in this is that they give you weapons. We, you mentioned yeah. there's a weapon slot, but you pick up swords and axes. Spears. It's useless. Throw it all away. I, I don't want that. What I love, and you gave credit for this earlier, Alex, I love the items. I love the idea yeah. that in order to defeat an enemy, you need its item. And what I was envisioning was, it, this assumes that you can get them on the overworld. I will admit, you're right. Sprite overload is a thing. I'm with Alex. I've tried to modify old retro games. It's frustrating working within the limits of the game's hardware in ways that I just I, I have a lot intended. of respect. I have a lot of respect for those people. But let's assume that even with random battles, that number one, you can get away with them more easily. But then number two, the only way to defeat an enemy is with its item. In a game with item management, where you're always trying to figure out what items to carry, I just I love the idea of the interactivity of that. Do I keep this item because I know it's really good against those enemies? Or do I leave it because I want to have more of the items that are used for puzzle solving? And it becomes this push and pull. And like I just imagine, let's say there's an item that's super useful on the armor knights. And you leave it behind a bunch of the armor knights, and you end up in a place where the only way to get back to it is to go through this gauntlet where you know all of these enemies are. You have to keep running away, doing whatever to get past them. That is tension. That's that survival is. horror. Yeah. Me. And and I think Resident Evil does that. You know, a lot of the weaknesses in Resident Evil are bullets. But like, if you think about the original Resident Evil, I've not played the PlayStation version. I've played the the GameCube remake. Yeah. But you know, in that game at least, one of the greatest mechanics is the lighter that you can use to burn you corpses burn the bodies. And if you don't burn the bodies, what happens later in the game, I won't spoil, but if you play resident evil on the GameCube or on the switch where it is now burn the bodies, trust me, trust me, you want to burn them or the hunters, right? The hunters are these great example of you, you shoot them with bullets and it doesn't do anything. So yeah, it, it's all weapon based, but it's puzzles, right? The enemies there's, there's a puzzle that you have to solve. I think putting the puzzles into the battles you could do that within the limitations of the NES hardware. And that I think would just go a long way in, you know, drop the encounter rate, get rid of the experience. You know, one of the things that was so strange is that you so quickly gain so much health that when you fail a quick time event and take three damage, you're just like, uh, okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah. or you a thousand, who cares? You right. Know? It, it takes away. And again, resident evil where you've got like five hit points, even at the best of times. Um, so yeah, I guess this is a short way of saying that Sweet Home is the uh, the precursor to Resident Evil. Uh, Shinji Mikami learned a lot of really good lessons from Sweet Home. Resident Evil is is definitely um, it's an improvement on this yeah, formula, yeah. Uh, and all the credit in the world for starting the formula. But I think there's a lot to be said about uh, practice and just getting it right. So before we get to discussion of whether it holds up, I mm. want to tack on to Sean's idea of how I would fix it. Uh, I'd probably reduce the encounter rate by a third. Yeah. Definitely. I would probably, I would probably get rid of experience and having levels. I'd probably do what you said about having items, having specific items for every enemy, maybe having five different varieties of items and five different varieties of enemies. So basically just, five weapons and five enemies. Can and, I just say when, when Sean said using your key items, I, I immediately thought of the key and then when in battle, it just turns into a keyblade. <laughs> <laughs> Use them to mimic you and lock their mouth. There you go. Um, <laughs> but I think I think all that would work. And I think in implementing even John's idea, I think it's a little bit more. I think with a lot of stuff, we also have to bear in mind that these were this game has a lot of novel ideas mm. in and of itself that we may even take for granted. Even talking about it and saying it's novel, we may take for granted just how original it was at the time. And implementing all these things that, sure, we know now, like, if I release an indie RPG on Steam today, it would uh, it would play a lot easier than this, probably, if I have any idea of what I'm doing, because I'm building up the backs of things like this. That said, there are obviously improvements that could be made. Yeah, I mean, today, like, games want to, game developers want their games to be completed. They want to get through them. Whereas I'm not sure if, if the same... Uh, the developers were thinking like along those lines but then they want they had like a specific vision and they they kept to that a lot more than they probably do today i mean well, this i wonder i wonder how many how much games were actually focus tested back then that's that's kind of where we lead into our discussion i think of yeah. whether it holds up because i think if you look at i 
I believe that if you were in the 80s and playing this game, so Sean mentioned the battles and that you have more than enough healing items for the battles. If you didn't have a guide, you might not have enough healing items to get through the game. If you're wandering around trying to figure out what else to do and just getting hammered by random battle after random battle after random battle, you might run out of healing items, especially for the part of the game you're in. You may run dry. That's possible, I think, without a guide. I you can get stuck. I mean, you can get stuck, like, then... Yeah, you can get really stuck if, if you don't know what you're doing. I also think, like, I said cutting the random encounters. That's a statement I could make probably about every RPG on the NES, in the NES era, I think if you went back, if you played Final Fantasy 1 or Dragon Quest 1 or anything like that, there's lots of grinding, lots of random battles. In that aspect, I'm not saying there's nothing they do better, but in that aspect, they all have that problem. That's a very, very common problem for the time. I mean, the, the next generation and the generation after that have a lot of those same problems as well. I, yeah, that was not something that was remedied until much later on in the definitely. In video game history. Well, I'll tell you what, let, let's have another break and then we will get back to discussing whether or not Sweet Home holds up. Holds up. Catch you in a sec. Welcome back. We're about to wrap up our uh, discussion on Sweet Home, the 1989 NES game. Uh, we are just about to discuss how we feel that the game holds up. Guys, how do we feel about this trash pile of a game? Well, John, I don't know that there's much more for me to say. I feel like I've said my piece, uh, but I will say during the break, Alex seems to have a lot to say. He does. So I, I will defer to him and just, you know, sit here and silently shake my head. Excellent. I want to thank you all for listening to Sitting on the Cartridge, by the way. So, I believe this game holds up. I think this game was ahead of its time. I think it helped establish the Metroidvania formula. I think that it had completely novel and original ideas. And I think everyone listening to this should try it out. I'm not saying you'll love it. I'm not saying it'll go in your top 10 favorite games of all time. I think you'll appreciate it, though. If you appreciate Resident Evil, you will appreciate this game. I am 100% serious on that one. I'm very sincere that I think it's important to look at games like this as a foundation. If how this, if you would recommend that someone try out the original Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy games or even Super Mario or the first Metroid or Zelda, those games are rough. Those games have lots of issues we could sit here and correct all day. Yeah, we really could. Sweet Home, I think overall, has less of those issues. I think it plays spectacularly for what it is and the era that it's in. So what we'll say is that if you're going to do that, play with the sound off after 15 minutes of playing the game. You'll have heard all the sound effects that actually matter. This, the music is terrible, repetitive. We, we've already gone over it, but let me just reiterate. It's terrible. It's awful. And there's no place for it. I would say just use a guide when you're playing through the game. Um, that will make the experience shorter. And you will... You, you, you could... My, my impression would be get to play through the game until you get stuck and then watch the rest of it on YouTube. Because you will be able to press the skip button to where the interesting stuff happens. Because there is actually interesting stuff that happens in the game. It, the story and the, the tension that it builds is is real for for an NES game. It, it, it as weird as that sounds. The bits in between are not worth your time. I think I think Sean agrees with me on this. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think it's perfectly fair. Um, I'm going to get semantic for just a second, right? What does it mean? Does a, does a game hold up? I think a lot of the elements of the game do hold up, but I just keep coming back to the fact that it's not fun to play. And I think you're right, John. I'd make the same recommendation. Play it until, I don't know, maybe an hour in. Finish the first couple of chapters. and then, Yeah, a Let's Play uh, is probably going to get you 90% of what you got playing the game with a whole lot less frustration. Uh, the random battles take 
about 10 to 15 seconds. So it's almost perfect for the YouTube skip length. So it's yep. like, it's tailor made to be watched on YouTube. And, um, actually, say, say you all gave the random battles a really hard time. In the random battles, though, you're all only ever encountering one enemy, one enemy at a time. You can save anywhere you want at any yeah, point called, in the game. They're called save states. Yeah, I've you can say you. even without save states, you can save wherever you want. You pull up the menu and click the save button. Done. That's so, fine. I mean, when I've had enough of that music, I needed those. <laughs> <laughs> when, but I'm saying the battles. There are a lot of them, but they are over and done with very quickly, especially if you're ever having to backtrack or go to an area back, you know, that you already passed through. You click like one button and they're over. No, so, no they're not. You, I mean, I'm pretty sure Sean said earlier that you're pressing the button a lot. You're, you're, just, I, you're just there I like this. Sean, Progress if you go the game. To, Press... Sean, if you go back to an earlier mm. area, wouldn't you agree the battles are over and done with pretty quickly? Yeah, Alex, you and I, we're in agreement on this. This game could have been worse. It certainly yeah. could have been. Um, yeah, no, you're right. When you go back to the early areas, the 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 curve of damage is, is such. You go from doing one damage to doing hundreds of damage. And so yeah. when there are enemies with 50 HP that took 30 seconds to finish, they are now instant. Um, but that doesn't necessarily excuse the 30 seconds the first time or the second time or the eighth time. I'm not, I'm not time. saying it excuses yep. it. I'm saying I'm not sure. Is it monotonous at first? It is. Yes. yes. It is. Does it stay as monotonous? Yes. I think. Yes. John, <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> okay. What I am saying is that the more you play this game, I think the less monotonous it gets. The more the 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 difficult part about this game is I think and Sean, you can you you can mediate me on this. You can tell me if I'm fitting some BS here. I think the best half of this game is the last half. Oh, easily. that's when you have well, that's not down to the combat. That's down to the story. No, I'm saying I think the combat gets more fluid. I think it gets slightly faster and smoother and i think the story picks up that you're you're more you're more tolerant of it because a it's a little bit faster and b you have story element after story element after story element hitting you no you, I, you're more tolerant of it because you have stockholm syndrome by that point <laughs> i'll take a different approach i agree with alex that the combat is better in the back half because there's less of it but that is not a game in the game's favor <laughs> well but i also think combat isn't the focus of this game at all. It's about the, the resident, you know, the resident evil puzzle. Then how come elements. it focus? How come it forces you into so many of them then? That was just how it did. That's it has to give you something that wears away at your resources. It has to give you something. And your they are yeah. constantly, exactly. So they are constantly at risk of there has I'm, to be I'm constantly at risk of putting the game down though. That's, that's not what the game should do. Uh, it's not that long a game, and it's not my fault that you know you have the attention span of a gnat. Like that's not that's not our fault here. Sorry, did you say something? <laughs> I will say that you're right. The length is really nice. Uh, it it's is. about about eight hours to play, and it's four hours. Like there is a let's play that is four hours. John and I have both watched parts of it. Yep, I, I watched part of it too. I would I would say this that. Going back to it, it's a lot like as a third time I played it, it's a lot smoother. It's a lot quicker in terms of just knowing where to go and knowing what to do. Obviously, I don't expect everyone to play it, you know, three times. But I, I would still say that everyone listening to this should try it. If you like Resident Evil at all, if you like survival horror at all, instant recommendation. Just because of what it does. Like, I think here. Let me shift gears slightly. I don't really like fighting games. Fighting games are not something I'm interested in. I would still recommend that everyone try Street Fighter 2. Because, uh, you know, are there better fighting games now? Certainly. Are there things that fighting game enthusiasts would critique Street Fighter 2 for? Absolutely, of course. Would they still recommend it? I'm sure most of them would. Sweet Home, there are things that it could be fixed. I think if we sat down with Final Fantasy 1 or Dragon Quest 1, We'd be complaining, going, oh my goodness, look at all these random battles. This is so annoying. Look at all these glitches. This is so frustrating. Those games are very frustrating. Metroid 1 is frustrating. All these games, you're all we all these games I think most people would recommend to use a guide for too to play through. 
there is one thing I'd like to bring up. So um, last year, I think it was, the Switch and Nintendo brought back um, Nintendo Detective Club. Was it Nintendo yeah. Detective Club? Yeah, it was a Famicom Detective Club. Famicom Detective Club, thank you. Yeah. And I bought those. And Sweet Home is less frustrating to play than Famicom Detective Club. All day. All day. That that game is so frustrating. I mean, I, I actually have like a... a, a half of a playthrough of that game and I had to give it up because I was just losing my mind. Um that didn't happen in, in Sweet Home. Luckily I didn't have like some obligation to to carry on some YouTube content going. Uh which eventually I broke anyway. But um Sweet Home isn't the worst NES game I've played. Congratulations. I I think if you compared it to the NES library, to me it's in like my top ten NES games ever. It is. Now, I'm actually just trolling, to be honest. It, well, it, but I'm so, I, I know I know you're messing me a little bit. I'm saying yeah. though, I think if we were to compare it purely on its own on the NES compared to the NES library, no argument it holds up better than most games in the NES. I think. I think that is something we can all probably agree with. I think that's fair. Sure. I, I think. think so. I think for that reason, it's worth going back to. I think for that reason, it's worth an examination. And in that aspect, it holds up because if you're not going to recommend this game, you're not going to recommend hardly any game in the NES. Yeah, I'm going to have to play the heel here. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say you're absolutely right. I don't recommend playing games on the NES. Um, <laughs> I, would ne- I would never recommend somebody go back and play the original Metroid. Why would you do that? Super Metroids no. are right there. Exactly. Why would you go Are back me- and play the original Zelda, Link to the Past, and Breath of the Wild? They're right there. Sweet Home isn't that. Sweet Home is not a game where it's like there's there's such there's a game that does it so much better. I mean, I do think that Resident Evil, in a lot of ways, is a perfection of the formula. But there is there is value to this game, and I think again, this is why this is such a fascinating conversation for us to have on this podcast. These are the kind of games that you want to talk about. You want to talk about a game that there's so much that you love, but there's no way of getting around it. The music is bad. The battles are bad. There's a lot of it. And I think anybody who plays this game is probably going to have the same experience, which is they get into it. They're like, this is super interesting. And after about an hour, they're just like, get me out. Get me out. You feel like the people in the house, get me out of this haunted mansion. I don't want to be here anymore. I, I actually think that's a, that's a good place to, to call it for, for our, um, our argument section. Should we call Hold it? Up. Sean, why'd you beat it then? Say Call it. it professional Say courtesy. It. Yeah, no, yeah, I'll be honest, I didn't. Um, I, I, oh, I thought I, you said you beat it. I finished half of it and I watched the rest. I couldn't do it anymore. Same. <laughs> I did the same. I, I fully, I fully admit, I, I couldn't finish it. I got, I, I got to where I, I, I had progressed past the room, and then I had to backtrack, and then I was done. That, that was me done. I'm gonna recommend it with a caveat. That if you are interested in playing any Nintendo game, this is absolutely one you should try. Yes. I think Would I my co-hosts agree with me that if you're looking to play any Nintendo game, this is definitely one to try. Yes. I, yeah. I mean, if anyone has any interest in like history of survival horror games or games in general, especially for, for game design, and this is actually a very, very interesting game to take a look at. I, and, and I think that if you can't stand old 8-bit games, this one probably isn't going to change your mind. Yeah. I admit that. I Again, if any of them are going to change your mind a little bit or make you at least a little curious, this one might be the one to do it. Like I think this one stands a good chance. But if you're not into Nintendo, like Master System level games, it's probably not going to, you know, not going to click for you. I would say in the in the so I have one of those NES classics. You can see the box behind yeah. me. Uh, I played the Mario Brothers games because they're classics. I played Castlevania one and two, and I played Punch Out. The others I passed on. Did, did you beat Castlevania one and two? Because those are I did. just yeah. Oh wow, they're on they're on my my YouTube channel actually. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't watch. I worth taking a look at. I I definitely used the guide for Simon's Quest because all of that crouching inexplicably just to progress the game is insanity. Um, Actually, that's an interesting point. How how would you compare this game to Castlevania 2? I know we talked about it a little bit, but I'm just curious. This game is better than Castlevania 2 because, like I said, there are certain sections, if you you haven't played Castlevania 2, where you have to do such inexplicable things that are just not explained at all. 
Um, so that game, there's lots of uh, history buffs that have done articles on this. They wanted you to ring the Nintendo hotline to get you to complete uh, the game. Yeah, that makes sense. So you would get stuck, you'd ring the hotline, give them more money, and they would tell you you have to go here and crouch for three seconds. The, and, and I don't think move. Sweet Home has and that's that. how the I... game progresses. It doesn't. It doesn't I, really. And, and I mean, the worst, credit. the worst thing I, I said was the, the, um, the, the flashlight. Because there's no real indication as to what you That, that one's a little silly, I admit. Yeah, um, but apart from that, it's it's miles better. Um, so, so if we're wrapping it up... Yes. It, does it hold up? And are we doing an asterisk, an asterisk with it? Yes. Okay. Yes, we are. It, I, I think it holds up. I think Sean would agree, agree with, with the two of us that it holds up with an asterisk next to it. There are caveats to you jumping into this game. Um, from a from a history level, from a curiosity level, to a, a, maybe you're studying how to make video games. It's it's worth looking at. Um, Sean, is there anything you'd like to add to that before we? Uh, no, I I think the Simon's two, the or Castlevania two, Simon's Quest clearly uh, needs to be a conversation for a, a future podcast, but not for the upcoming podcast. I want to pivot to what we're going to talk about next. Give a teaser, yes, please. Because we're swinging hard in the other direction. Um, you know, John said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, old men looking at old games. And we had a conversation. We decided it had to be at least 10 years old. And if you want a sense of just how fast time is flying, the next thing we're going to talk about is a favorite of mine and one that I am really going to have a challenge finding flaws with, but I think we're going to figure it out. It's XCOM Enemy Unknown from 2012. Just makes the cut. Just it does. Early. <laughs> that is a 10-year-old game, and yep. uh, where has the time gone? Exactly. So uh, that's going to do it for, for today's and this uh, two-week episode. Uh, thank you to uh, Sean, and thank you to Alex for joining me. Um, if you have any uh, issues with the things that we've been saying today, uh, please send them to our uh, email account, the one that I just uh, mentioned earlier, that is uh, blow.cart.pod at outlook.com or you can, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, you can leave a comment below and we will get back to you. Uh, if there's nothing else from you, fine gents, we will call it there and we will see you all next time. Ciao. Thanks, John. Thank you.